I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. It's so weird that we're not like um, sitting together. And you know what sucks is traveling is not as fun without you because I got here and I didn't have any toothpaste. I always have the toothpaste. You always have the toothpaste. And also you have my dog. I've got your dog. Who loves you more now. -uh. (laughs) Nuh-uh. We have so much stuff to talk about. There's a lot. So much. I think what happened is that we were talking and it's like, oh my gosh, all these need to be potted. So let's just pause and hit record. Good idea. Okay. So I'm going to give the high level overview for people who uh, I'm going to teaser all the topics. So what's funny is we were just talking about heroin and addiction. So a high level overview, high level overview is pretty freaking funny. <laughs> that's pretty punny that's pretty funny <laughs> so we're going to talk about the faa and how all the flight ifr flights shut down we're talking about relational trauma we're going to talk about the taboo topic of tipping teaching boys to be men preparing for the apocalypse that always comes up every episode atlantis the lost civilizations climate change heroin and vietnam and then i wrote and let's see what else. I have no idea why I wrote that down. <laughs> anyway, I tell you something. Okay. So this evening, I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. I'll Stop keep it. Stop <laughs> it. I can't even. <laughs> We're not starting with relational trauma, right? Because I feel like that is way too much. That's pretty. That's a pretty heavy thing. P.S. How this guy fights is by literally drowning you like Guantanamo Bay status in dad jokes until you cave and you're like, I give uncle. I love you. You're perfect. Please make it stop. Never. (laughs) We'll never stop. Okay. Anyway, I think, you know, if you guys, you know, if, if you're not getting along with your partner, I think, you know, tell them jokes and they freaking laugh. You oh, know, my God. The cycle. Uh, you know, what's funny is I think you're accurate, but I still wanted to be pissed off. And then at well, some point, I just couldn't be angry anymore because the jokes were so fucking ridiculous. And then with the Amazon one, I was like, okay. <laughs> You're not. You're like you're laughing. I'm like I'm laughing. Oh, it's trauma. That's I freaking gonna stick for the rest of your life. I recently saw a thing. No shit. I recently saw a thing that was a marriage therapist, and he he does this training globally for like couples that are struggling. And one of the things he says is, if you're fighting, to get down on the floor and continue the argument from a laying down position. Because, and I've done this with you before, you can't make a happy face and be angry and you can't make an angry face and be happy. It like doesn't work. And if you're laying down, you're so submissive, you're on the floor, like you cannot fight anymore. You're both just going to start busting up laughing. And that definitely um, breaks the cycle. It totally breaks the cycle. And, um, I I think what's, what's probably perplexing perplexing the listeners though is like oh my god did they have a lover spat did they have a quarrel and so what i will say is <laughs> is that um you know uh, exes uh, play a role and also i think just what we were going to talk about which is relational trauma so something may not be a big deal but uh, the stuff that we bring from our past relationships is, and one of the things that you and I were talking about before we got on the podcast is, 
you know, I've been doing this body keeps the score, Bessel van der Kolk. He's amazing. Um, incredible guy in the world of trauma, trauma informed, um, healing and also like neurofeedback stuff, super geek out for someone like me. But, uh, is the fact that people who come from trauma and, and he's, he's a really cool guy. And that he's like, Hey, not every fucking thing is trauma. Like he literally, he's got a very strong German accent and he literally says that on the recording. He's like, um, the pandemic was not trauma. Don't try to play that game with me. I'm not buying it. Um, most of you got to not have to go to the office and deal with traffic anymore and stay at home. And yeah, you might not like your spouse, but Hey, I mean, he's got a point, right? For very few of us was the pandemic an actual trauma. And when he talks about trauma, he's talking about, you know, a seven-year-old girl who's molested by her father. He's talking about vets that are watching their friends' legs get blown off, things like this. He's talking about trauma. And he says, people love to come to session and they love to say like, I want to tell you about my trauma. And he's like, just stop. Actually, why don't you tell me about your life? Why don't you tell me about who you are? Why don't you tell me about all the things you've done? I don't want to hear about your trauma. That's just a part of your life. And it's probably not even that traumatic when we start talking about all the things. Yeah. Yeah. Hurt feelings feelings isn't trauma. Hurt feelings isn't trauma. Being triggered isn't trauma. Um, There may be a past event that feels very traumatic, but it's not a trauma. And so anyways, he talks, though, about how um, there's these precursors to this kind of like marker that gets planted in the limbic system where, you know, if you've had certain things in your childhood and people hate childhood like therapy, they hate it. But um, you are more predisposed to, one, find yourself in a abu- in an abusive relationship. And number two, um, when you find a relationship that is not abusive, be it a friend, be it a spousal, whatever, a close relationship, you are like a hundred times more likely when you feel a fear of abandonment come up or anything like that to send out a smoke signal from the genetic marker now that has been seared into your limbic system. And he would probably be like so pissed if he listened to this podcast because I'm botching the hell out of it after like a really strong Sauvignon Blanc here. (laughs) But the idea is that, um, he says, you know, you're, you're almost instantaneously going to send out the smoke signal to your no kill thing, which is the brain. And you're going to be right on the precipice or the edge of panic, sheer panic. And I often describe to you feeling something which I, which I call spirally. Like I'm starting to feel this start to happen. And if it's not caught, yeah. And if it's not caught, what it quickly becomes is panic. And he describes that if you actually do something unorthodox, which is something, do something. He says, go for a hike, dance, moving meditation, chant. Um, he describes, this is actually really interesting. Um, he talks about how, uh, the military, I don't know, but I've been told that that is something that they revert back to in states of panic as a calming mechanism. How wild is that? Um, but he, It's freaking fascinating. But he basically says, look, do something, hug someone, go for a hike, dance, move your body, do whatever it is that you need to do, because it snaps us from that space that we're in, which is about to become panic and tells us we're not in that situation. That is irrational thought. That is a fire coming through the building that is not actually happening. And we don't need to go there. We don't need to protect ourselves from that because it's not real. It's imagined. Right. Isn't that incredible? Fascinating. Yeah. So I did a whole lot of talking, but um, what do you want to say about relational trauma? Well, you know, this is something that we, you know, we've discussed a little bit a lot this week. (laughs) You know, um, those of us that have come from, uh, we'll just, you know, we won't sugarcoat it. Absolutely fucking horrific relationships that have been abusive and uh, just, I mean, physical and psychological warfare aspect of it. Um, 
those of us that have been there totally get it. Those of you that haven't been there, you know, consider yourself fucking blessed. Yeah. Um, and you know what care you know um, you know we we carry with us for a, you know a lot a period of time a certain amount of uh, PTSD associated with that relationship. So you know any time that we perceive that our partner or our spouse is upset with us, we go back to that place like, holy shit, you know I've really messed stuff up. I'm inadequate. I'm not doing good enough. I I need to try harder. When in reality is you know we're doing our best. We're you know trying to be the best we can be and you know we we perceive somebody else's uh, emotional reaction or or feelings as uh having a huge negative impact um about the way they they look at us and you know how we're performing as a partner and the things that we're doing to try to you know work on our relationship and um and so it's easy to you know, go down this into this fucking dark hole where, you know, oh, my God, I've really messed shit up. Um, I'm not doing a very good job as a partner. I'm a loser. I'm a piece of shit. You know, I need to do something different to, to fix it. And in reality, at the end of the day, you know, we don't really need maybe it's not as bad as we perceive it to be. It's nowhere near as bad as we perceive it to be. Uh, but we 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 go there automatically because we're accustomed to living in that spot. It's funny uh, as as you're talking, I'm thinking a couple of things, and the first one is, um, it, <laughs> just how much that's your narrative because my narrative is so different. But I'm sure everybody's got their thing that they go to from that space, and mine is, fuck this, I'm running away, I'm out, I'm protecting myself because it never ever starts to come up and things like that you know uh right. nothing's gonna change never ever and then i go to this weird space of like gaslighting the fuck out of myself where i'm like oh no because i i had that response now i'm gonna be abandoned because it's my fault because i'm not allowed to have these emotional responses <laughs> it's, a it's, friggin', it's a roller coaster through hell it is. And one of the things I always tell my couples is like, if you can't come from the space that your partner is not trying to harm you, either A, you shouldn't be in counseling because your your partner is trying to harm you and this is not a safe space, or two, we need to do some serious work around the idea that your partner has your is a teammate and is got good intentions, does not have bad intentions, you know? And I think yeah. that's a really like hard thing for a lot of people. It is a really hard thing. And, you know, and some of us, you know, we've had the experience where, you know, you know, myself, for example, you know, my first long-term partner slash ex-wife, you know, that was supposed to be my teammate and partner and being supportive and, you know, helping, you know, with, you know, just getting through life was like literally my fucking enemy. I mean, and yeah. she did everything she could possibly do to harm me, to injure me, to create, you know, the whole psychological warfare aspect of shit where, you know, it's like, so I'm, I'm, you know, I occasionally find myself in the spot where, you know, I'm with this person, I'm with my partner and, you know, part of me is like, you know, my partner wants to harm me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, you know, it's uh, we our brains get rewired to expect that to happen. And it takes a fair amount of time to to rewire your brain so that you don't go there automatically. Most of the time, I'm pretty good about it. Every once in a while, bam, you go back to that spot. It's like, OK. I adore this woman. I love this woman. She's going to fucking kill me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think to your point, the people that come from these traumatic relationships have the hardest time when they finally find a relationship that feels so good. And for you, my experience of you and I is that, um, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time we are so enamored and grateful and adoring and, and just 
wow, are you kidding me? I didn't know this could even exist. This is so peaceful. It's so calm. And then when one of us has something that feels um, threatening, where that fear comes up, it's so big because because we go to that place of almost instantly protection. Like my partner is trying to kill me, but it's 0.1%. I mean, it is like almost nearly never in the big scheme of things. And I think that that in and of itself is more than most people can say. My experience as a couples therapist is far more than most people can say. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is like, you know, where, where are you sitting out of curiosity? Are you sitting downstairs? Cause, um, every once in a while it gets weird on the Wi-Fi or the reception. Yeah. I'm downstairs on the couch. Okay. Sit toward the grandfather clock. I am. Okay, good. Um, so anyway, as you're talking, I'm thinking about stuff. It's like, you know, you know, and usually like, you know, when one of us goes down the rabbit hole, the other person isn't. And so it's not really that bad. What's hard is when we both go down the fucking rabbit hole at the same time. And we're both dealing with past trauma bullshit. And, you know, I've been out of uh, this horrific relationship, my first horrific relationship for 10 years. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's um, there's times it's still really hard. There's still, you know leftover shit um my second relationship was less dramatic but it was still a lot a psychological warfare type of deal and um you know and so i still have i I still deal with that occasionally from you know just uh an emotional and you know psychological standpoint where it's like you know trying to figure out where the mind fuckery stops and reality begins and you know what is reality i think for everybody it's different but anyway, so I, I think, I think, I think to your point though, is that normally one of us is nowhere near that space and the other person is, is t- tiptoeing into it. And so the other person's like, mm, no, pump the brakes. And, and then it's over. In this case, this week, we both had a slew. First of all, we came off of like three incredible weeks where we don't normally have that much, um, free time to travel and explore the world. And we did. And then we both had things this week that were pretty heavy. So I think, I think that was definitely a contributing factor. Totally. Um, And, you know, we just, we both ended up, I think pretty much going down into that, that dark pit at about the same time. And And then, and then there were forces. And at some point we'll talk about this on the podcast, but it won't be today. Um, There were forces at play that kept us apart. Right. And that's never good because that ties back to what Bessel is saying about like, you've got to have that connection. You've got to have that hug. We're social creatures. You've got to have that move your body, you know, do something. And between all the torrential downpours and rain, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for that. Granted, I could have danced in the living room. Um, but I think there was just this whole, and we've talked about this a lot, this sense that, um, and maybe, and this isn't the podcast for it, but we've talked a lot about the sense that when we're out together with the boys, especially people, random strangers will come up to us and say weird things like, you guys are doing a great job. You have a mission. You have a purpose. What was that one guy at that hotel? It's like, God has called on you. <laughs> we've had some weird stuff. And, and this often feels like every time it comes up, it feels like super dark forces trying to like rip, ah, like at the shreds. Right. Um, on that note, shall we migrate to things like the FAA? (laughs) Okay. So we'll migrate into more interesting things. (laughs) Um, so, you know, this past week, you know, most people, you know, that made the news is that the, uh, the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration's uh, NOTAM system went down. So that's the notices to airmen. And so the NOTAM system, you know, disseminates important information to all of us aviators about what's going on. You know, the airports that we're leaving, you know, en route and the airports that we're arriving at, you know, outages for navigation, runway closures, whether or not, you know, fuel is available at airports, all kinds of stuff. I mean, everything. Things that most aviators never check, just saying. Anyway. 
<laughs> what? I che- I always check them all the time. Uh-huh. Can we talk about uh, Badland Thermal Lands? Thermal Lands. <laughs> Uh, you know, sometimes the weather reporting isn't working the way it's supposed to. Um, uh huh. So yeah, thermal lands. That was uh, that wasn't had, didn't, had nothing to do with the NOTAM system. That had to do with uh, an inaccurate automated weather station. Really, because so, I feel like it had more to do with the fact that there was like a full blown runway closure. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> No, there wasn't a runway closure. There was no X on it. It was just a pile of manure in the middle of the runway. <laughs> so, it was anyway. a really impressive touch and go, just saying. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so when it comes to aviation, you know, everything, you know, as far as safety goes is about redundancy. So there's always a backup. And there's more often than not, there's a backup to the backup. So there's several layers of uh, safety where, you know, if one system fails, another system picks up the slack. If that system doesn't work and pull its weight, there's usually something behind that. So there's several ways of doing one particular job. And so, you know, it's all about redundancy and safety and, you know. And so it's bullshit. Russia shot down a UFO. Something happened. We don't know, but for sure. There's been chatter about the fact that there's been maybe a lawsuit fi- filed against the FAA regarding the risks of vaccinating. But that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because the pilots are still flying. So I don't believe that one. Um, you know, it's, I don't know, it's a, cra- it's a, it's a whole bunch of shit going on. Um, I haven't really looked into the whole Russia shooting down a UFO deal. It's not even on my radar at this point. I'm just trying to get the fucking bills paid. Honey, should I have another Sauvignon Blanc or should I not? I think feel like last up. Let's keep talking. Okay, I'll have one more. I don't normally drink two of these things because they're pretty strong. Okay, maybe maybe half glass. It's thir- no, because once I open the can, then I'm just committed. You know what I mean? The can's not going to keep. Well, maybe it'll keep. It's wine. It'll keep. It's a thirteen point five percent alcohol by volume. So you but can have. What? No, because there's no Coke mixed in or nothing. It is straight up. All right. So the FAA's, you know, the FAA lives on redundant systems. You know, um, you can't, sir, you can't not have an aircraft certified in the United States unless it's got all kinds of backup systems on it. And you just double negative. Okay. You, you totally double negative. You said you can't not. So you mean you can't. God, you've got to rephrase okay. that. Okay. You cannot have an aircraft certified in the United States unless it's got redundancy. Um, and, you know, it takes decades to get a new airplane designed into production because of all the bullshit that the FAA. FAA throws in front of uh, manufacturers. Now, to think that the FAA did not build redundancy into its system for disseminating information to pilots. Bullshit. It's total bullshit. I'm going to call bullshit. Have you ever played that dice game? It is so fun. It is hella fun. Oh, God, I love that game. This this excuse where, you know, this one system went down and it grounded all the flights, all the IFR (laughs) United States. Bullshit. It's a crock of shit. Something else is going on. I'm not sure what it is, but there's more to the story than just a fucking computer glitch. It's bullshit. Nobody fucking believes it. Okay, and so total total tangents again. Seize candy. They're butterscotch caramels. Oh my god, stuff the presses. Okay, moving on. Okay. And so anyway, it's total bullshit. But but honey, we've um, talked before on the on this podcast. It wasn't this one, it's a different we talked like a year ago about the fact that you know, we have enemies trying to take down our grids and stuff, and that at some point someone's going to figure out how to shut us down. And and you mentioned that perhaps this is a test to see what would happen if that happened. Yeah, exactly. So I think that, you know, either, uh, you know, somebody hacked into the system and disabled it, or the government intentionally shut it down just to see to, to see how everyone was going to react. You know, it's like this COVID bullshit, this huge friggin' psyops for the past three years. It's been total fucking crap. Everybody knows that the truth is starting to come out. 
you know, shit like this, you know, the, the NOTAM system going down and then grounding all this IFR flight, all these IFR flights, you know, commercial airlines and stuff. Something doesn't make sense. None of it adds up. You know, there's a fucking redundancy to the whole system. None of, you know, the redundancy is there. And so either, you know, they took it all out and they don't want people to know or they're just fucking with us. Okay, separately, while we're talking about the government and the shit they do, can I just drop this tidbit in there? <clears throat> that the government gave heroin to Vietnam veterans while they were active duty during the Vietnam War. The, the people who, the soldiers who received heroin during that time, they used heroin during the Vietnam War, do not report any PTSD because evidently heroin, the happy drug, blocks the receptors that create the long-term memory for post-traumatic stress disorder. In addition to that, people who used heroin during the Vietnam War did not go on to become drug-addicted veterans when they returned home. Something about the heroin use during the traumatic event actually did its job, blocked their ability to see it as a traumatic event, retain it as a traumatic event, and they fared far better. So government interference, we know the government gives all sorts of weird shit to soldiers as part of their testing processes. And this is like a phenomenal thing that nobody talks about because it's completely taboo. So... What you're saying is if we are in a traumatic relationship with someone, um, we should do heroin to avoid bringing that fucking baggage on to the next relationship. I'm so not going to say that. <laughs> are you trying to get me fired? No, I'm not saying that. However, if you happen to know that you were going to um, get yourself wedged into the Carlsbad Caverns and have to chop your arm off, you should probably take a hit of heroin right prior to that event, and then you will go on to have really no reported PTSD from chopping your arm off while being stuck in a cavernous canyon. Is that guy's arm still there stuck behind the fucking rock? Oh my god, you did not. <laughs> Is there still Flesh on that bone. Honey. What? <laughs> I mean, they didn't go back and fucking move the rock and save the arm. It was dead. Oh, God. So Honey. Hilarious, isn't it? No, maybe he went back and got... I can't even with this. Okay, moving on. Moving on. Let's talk about the lost civilizations of Atlantis or tipping. Okay. Uh, let's talk about cow tipping. No, let's talk about cow tipping. We're talking about tipping, which actually has a history. And what's happened now is that it's gotten so freaking outrageous that you're literally shunned on if you don't leave something other than a 20% or greater tip, 18% if you're in a large group, which is forced upon you. And what's even worse than that is that people like hairstylists expect a 20% tip, but you don't tip your chiropractor. You no. don't tip your acu acupuncturist. You don't tip your dentist. You don't tip your dentist. Like, like, how did we decide who gets tipped and who doesn't? And does it have to do with if you're in business for yourself? Well, I'm sorry. Your salon person, like your hairstylist at the end of the fucking day, either owns the salon or pays rent for the chair. Give me a fucking break. They're in business for themselves. Why do they deserve a 20% tip? Right. You know, they charge accordingly. And, you know, I think like, uh, you know, traditionally, if we go back several years, um, you know, restaurants didn't really pay their servers all that well. So their waiter, waiters and waitresses, they didn't make much money. It was like, you know, a couple of bucks an hour, something like that is way below minimum wage. And so they relied on the tips for the income. And so the whole tip system was designed about, okay, if you've got a good waitress or a waiter and they're over the top, they're doing like a really you know, awesome job, 
then they get tipped well. If you suck as a waiter or a waitress, you don't get the fucking tips. Maybe you should maybe move on to a different career. And so, um, and I work. Oh, okay. But can we just pause a moment to say sure. the word tip actually comes from the phrase to ensure promptness. So it wasn't so much about tipping someone for doing a good job. It was about tipping someone so that you would get more prompt service than the person next to you. Better service. Not better. More prompt service. In other words, your food would come first. You would be seated first to start. Your food would come first. All of that. Your drinks would come first. You would be attended to before someone else. I'm sorry, but the person who has put a salad that I have ordered on my fucking table and I say, oh, excuse me, you forgot my ranch. And then she's buzzing around the fucking place, chatting with her friends along the way while I'm fucking sitting there waiting for ranch. And then eventually she comes over and I'm like, oh, you forgot my ranch. She's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Let me go get that. And then she disappears for another 30 minutes. And then she comes back out and brings someone a glass of beer. And then I'm like, um, excuse me, excuse me. Hey, hi, um, still didn't get that ranch. And she's like, oh my God, oh my God. I totally asked the, the, the chef and he did it. Oh, how rude. Let me go get it for you. And then she brings it back and now everybody is done eating and I'm like, fuck it, give me it to go. And I'm expected to leave your ass 20%. No, sorry. So. I'm, I'm like totally aggro about this. Why, if you're pouring me a cup of black coffee that you're charging me $5 for, do I need to tip 20%? Fuck no. Fuck no. This has gotten out of control. And now, I'm sorry, there are minimum wage laws. Why the hell do I need to cover the fat guy that's hiring these people behind the scenes, making all the money because his ass doesn't want to pay a fair wage? Why the fuck should I? I'm already overpaying for the fact that you're bringing me a plate of rice that cost you literally 30 cents. And by the time we talk about cooking it and your wait staff and turning on your lights and all of that, we're at $3. You just charged me $15.99 for. Why the fuck do I have to pay 20% on that? That's a really good question. And it's um, totally taboo. And when I bring it up and I post about it on Instagram, I either get like a million people that are like, yeah, I'm over tipping. I'm done. Or I get the hairstylist that's like, um, totally 20% is proper. Really? Why do you deserve additional? You charge me $160 to balayage my hair. It's not even highlighted. It's balayage. $160. Why the fuck do I have to tip you another 30 some odd plus bucks on top of that? 40 bucks on top of that. That's a really good question. How about you just up your fucking price to 220 then and we'll call it even? Right. Interesting is like, you know, uh, as far as like, you know, business owners go. You know, you don't usually tip the business owner. You know, you, you know, just saying. I certainly don't tip the dentist. I, I don't tip, tip the chiropractor. I don't tip the acupuncturist. You know, the massage therapist I tip, I feel like they're touching my body. They're doing things that are like, like I feel like that's a little different. But that should be my decision and not like a standard. I yeah. hate it. I hate it when they give you the receipt. And it's like, how much are you going to tip today? Um, 18, 20, 25, or custom? I'm going to go with custom. How about two bucks? You're going to get two fucking bucks (laughs) to make me do something. I don't know. I feel bad. I've, I've not, in fairness, I've not spent a long time in service industries, except that I'm a psychotherapist, which is very much a service industry, but there is absolutely no tipping allowed. As a matter of fact, as a psychotherapist, you cannot even receive gifts. This was perplexing to somebody the other day. Unless it's like very small monetary value and you believe and could fight in court that by denying the gift, you would cause harm to your patient. That is the only time. So for example, I had a client last week, actually. Um, we, during the course of talking about her holiday the week prior, we're talking about how, um, you know, it came up that my son enjoys tea and hot cocoa and whatever. And so the following week she brought a little thing of hot cocoa and she was like for you and your son. 
And it would cause great harm if I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry, I can't accept this $3 gift. That would be so offensive and so harmful that it's like, no, 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 no. And so I graciously accepted the gift. But there have been times in my 15 plus year career now, the 11 plus 15, some odd year career now that I have actually had to decline gifts. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. And, you know, this is something that, you know, I'm sure you probably struggle with it too, is, you know, you work with people, you help them, they're appreciative and they want to show their appreciation. It's it's more than just a monetary thing. This is something that, you know, it's a gift from the heart. It has, you know, really nothing to do with the monetary value. It's the fact that, you know, what you do is really appreciated. It's valued. And they're saying thank you. Yep. And the fact that certain states, California, make shit like that illegal, or it's going to, you know, have serious repercussions, uh, I think it's bullshit. You're not wrong. You know? And this is one of the things that Bessel says. And granted, he's uh, an American psychologist, uh, doctor, actually, but he's a German based, you know, in philosophy. And he actually says, this is where the Americas are getting it so, so wrong. He said, you know, we are forbidden, forbidden. Like it is a hard fucking line to not touch our clients. Absolutely zero contact, no touch. It says, basically, there's like a loose section in the BBS that states like, you know, if you want to give a closure hug, with permission, you know, be very, very fucking careful about that. He's like, this is total bullshit. Some of the people that are coming to you, their entire trauma, their entire trauma, we talked about this word trauma, is that they were, uh, they were literally not given any physical touch as a child. None. And they're sitting with you and they're just this meek shell of a human who doesn't even know how to shake someone's hand because they're so afraid of what the physical intimacy would be. And he says, I say bullshit. I literally will sit next to my client over time, not first session, right? But he'll sit next to the client and he will place his hand on their arm. That's fucking therapy. That is therapeutic. And, you know, it's in California. Oh, fuck. No, do not do that. California. I mean, I think it's probably a lot of states where, um, you know, the 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 boards that do the licensing, you know, the federal regulations, the state regulations, they are so out of touch with reality that they shouldn't even fucking exist. Those organizations should like fucking vanish because, you know, it's like a one size fits all type of deal. And that is so harmful to the rest of us as a society. You know, we're all individuals. You know, my shoe doesn't fit your foot. Your shoe doesn't fit my foot. What the fuck are they talking about? No, you're absolutely right. And I have had a client, she was a client for a long time. And, you know, her, she had a child die and pass away. And, and we were working through that trauma for a long time. And at one point we got to a point in the sessions where I said, may I give you a hug? And she said, yes, please. And that felt like the natural thing for me to do. You know what I mean? And, and, and that yeah. was one of the rare, I mean, I'm talking like zero occasions, clients listening to this will attest. Um, but it felt cold and callous if I did not do that. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, you know, it's so counterintuitive to, to regulate, um, you know, like the, 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 what I want, what's what I'm looking for? The intuition of the therapist the intuition or the, or the, the organic process that unfolds. Yeah. All of that. I, I mean, it's, it's counterproductive. It's totally counterproductive. And, you know, something just as simple as like, you know, a, a hand on an arm or, you know what I'm saying? Um, physical touch is so important. And like with this whole scamdemic over the past three years, I mean, people are still fucked up. They're going to be fucked up for a generation. Yeah. You know, the whole isolation thing. 
the worst, the absolute worst thing we can do to each other as human beings is to eliminate the physical touch. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, and so it's interesting, like, you know, you're, you're talking with clients in your office, you know, you're sitting in your seat, they're sitting in their seat and, you know, you're t- talking to each other, but you're still isolated. Uh, yeah. You're, yes. Because of the regulatory body that will yep. take away your livelihood if you are human. Well, we were even talking about, this was not long ago. We we're talking about this with my dad. Um, you and I, that I will have a client that repeatedly comes to my mind. I had this happen just like a couple weeks ago where it was like something and I thought of the client and then something and I thought of the client. And then the third time I'm like, gosh, I should reach out to this client. Like, are they okay? And I thought, no, I'm not allowed to do that. Like it's against the policy. You know what I mean? I'm not allowed to do that. And it feels so weird to me because it's like, I know how energy in the world works. I know this person is in some way needing something or maybe they're not, but they're at least utilizing something that I provided and whatever. And so this is an interesting thing that unfolded. I was in a meeting, um, for the, one of the companies that I'm an onsite therapist for. And, um, I brought up a case uh, and we never use client names or anything like that, but I brought up the case. I was talking about this case and I said, this couple opted to do a separation and we had rules kind of associated with the, what the separation was going to look like. And anyway, everybody in the meeting was like, you should follow up with them. Cause I'm like, I've done this training since then. I feel like this information would so much help them, blah, blah, blah. Like I've gained knowledge that I feel would help them in their process. And everybody in the training was like, yeah, just send them a text. Just, just do it. And so anyways, I, I did, I sent a text to to him and I sent a text to her. I know they're living independently and they both responded back within almost seconds. And, and she was like, I didn't have your contact information. I cannot tell you how grateful I am that you reached out. I absolutely needed this. Thank you. Blah, blah, blah. And then I reached out to him and, and he had a very similar response. Mm-hmm. I've, I've often wondered if we should come back for a follow-up session. I really appreciate that you're sharing this information. This is helpful. I mean, it was really like, fuck, see, this is the ways in which intuitively as humans, we know, but then we get ourselves into these, um, legal, you know, legality type situations that are, you know, they're to protect us really. I mean, we were recently talking about, I don't want to I don't want to say too much on this. I'll, I'll just fucking say it. Actually, I don't give a shit. I almost posted on Yelp about it. I went to a chiropractor. The, the chiropractor has been on this podcast. So if you actually are listening to this and are curious, um, go listen to the episode. He, he literally, I could not tie my fucking shoes when I went to this man. He is extroverted. He is very good at what he does. And he is the reason that I was able to stand up straight and fucking walk again. Not even kidding. I had a super bad L5S1 from lifting way too many retaining block and probably lifting wrong and lifting wrong my whole life. Anyways, he corrected that. And he was very confident and I will almost say cocky about his ability to do so. When I showed up there, I was in the most amount of pain I've ever been in in my life. And I was afraid I would never hike again. And he was like, oh, I got this. Uh, This is not even an issue. Promise you. And since then, I have recommended more than one man actually in my life, including my own brother to this person. And he fixed them. He fixed them. And so, uh, you, you know, in right before Christmas, I had this issue where suddenly my back was really fucked up. And immediately I was like, I need to go see this chiropractor because I know he can help me. And I start fucking looking around and I'm like, what? It looks like he's closed. What is going on? Like, I called the number and it's like some weird, like different name. And I'm like, what is going on? Anyway, long story short, some hoe bag. Yes, I, I, if you're hearing this, I'm calling you a fucking hoe bag. Um, she literally works a stripper pole for a living because I can't stop and had a rabbit hole and read not only the entire case notes, but the legal case and everything, but then also had to continue to follow up on researching her. 
I remember when I had first heard about this, I was like, there's no fucking way that'll hold any ground because the way that this particular chiropractor does his work, everybody is in a very public setting. All people are in a center room. There's no way that this could have unfolded. Turns out if you follow her and chain her down a little bit on Yelp, you'll see she makes a fucking living out of like suing doctors. Check it out. Dentist, everything. Anyway, she did that to him. And so he's had to kind of revise everything. Thankfully, he has figured out a way. And evidently, he's writing a book about this. Um, but I recently went, I took you. What's your take on him? Uh, he's, you know, a very extroverted personality. Um, you know, definitely cocky, but not really arrogant. Yeah. Um, and he knows, you know, he knows what he's doing. He is confident in his abilities as uh, a chiropractor. Yeah. Uh, but he's very outgoing, very friendly, you know. Like but it's not just women. I mean, it's everybody in there. He's He knows your life story. He's friendly. He remembers it. He's gabbing. He's joking. It's not just women. It's everybody. everybody and so um, she even joked with you because you had the big gash on your head you know it happens <laughs> once a week um mm. and um you know one of these days we'll talk about that uh, that bar fight and the beer bottle over the head <laughs> but the point is just that you know look at his situation right that's why i follow the rules very strictly um, and the exceptions I make, I feel like I could stand with complete conviction in front of a jury of 25 of my peers and would not waver. And those are the only times because I know that that can happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, and it's absolutely ridiculous that, um, you know, you, you guys, you know, medical professionals in general have to live under that fucking cloud. You know, but, but you know, what's funny is so, so going back to all of this relational trauma stuff and kind of tying this all together is, um, for you and I, like the moment and, and we had forces keeping us separated for a period of time, but the moment that we were back in each other's physical presence, like it's all gone. Totally gone. And so and I want to back up just a little bit to, sure. you know, um, you know, the medical boards and the stuff that, you know, like that regulate your industry, you know, the very fact that, you know, in the back of your mind, there's this fucking dark cloud with fucking lightning and thunder and tornadoes and shit, where if you step outside of what is considered normal, you will lose your license to practice means that I don't get the care that I need. And that board is regulating shit to the point where, you know, as a as a client, as a patient, I don't get the service that I fucking need. I get shortchanged, and that's bullshit. You, you know, I've not heard it put that way, but as you're talking, I'm thinking exactly about what has unfolded under the last uh, over the last three years about anyone who spoke out against the narrative. And you know, you and I have had this conversation in the, the dark of the night at three o'clock in the morning where I have often said, I am so afraid that my position on all of this shit is going to come back to bite me and I'm going to lose my ability to help people. Right. Because it doesn't fit the narrative. And, you know, like the state of California, you know, I'm sorry, the state of California... They just passed or signed into law or whatever the hell it is they do. Yeah. That if your if your medical, you know your uh, your doctor, you know speaks out and says, you know, I'm not really sure about the COVID vaccine. Actually, gives you that. informed consent. Let's be clear. If they read you the pamphlet, which is what every doctor has to do, and I talked about this on an Instagram story. Informed consent is me telling you. Every single possible risk involved with doing something and some I may not even know and getting your verbal and written consent to continue with what I am doing. 
I am going to try to operate on your leg. Also, I may nick a vein, I may nick a nerve, and I may have to amputate. That is informed consent. And right. you saying, you saying, okay, I'm willing to take a chance that you're going to nick a nerve and, and I'm going to have to lose my leg or my ability to walk. It is worth it for me. I'm signing the paperwork. I am good to go operate on this leg. I did this exact thing when I had my wisdom teeth pulled. My mom signed it for me. It informed consent. There is a chance that when we go to pull your wisdom tooth that we will nick a nerve and you will lose all feeling in your, in your mouth. Sign, 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 sign. Yes, yes, we're good. Pull the wisdom teeth. Boom. Guess what? They nicked a fucking nerve and I knew that was a risk and I did not have feeling from one side of my cheek to the middle of my mouth. Oh, by the way, I meant to tell you the other day I had this realization when I was in, the, in with the esthetician and she was talking about nerves and collagen. And I think that nerve that they nicked is the reason, because remember how I went to that other esthetician and she was like, it looks like a trauma happened here. Like you've got like an injury to this part of your face. And I'm like, God, this is like the only part of my face that I didn't walk into a tailgate, get bitten by a dog, like have all these other fucking things. But they nicked that nerve right there in that tooth. And I bet you that is why the collagen is different there. You're probably absolutely right. I meant to tell you that the other day, but I didn't because then everything else unfolded and we didn't get to have these conversations. But the point is that is informed consent. Krispy Kreme donuts was not sitting people down and giving them informed fucking consent before they put the clutch shot in their body. Right. Period. <laughs> and, you know, and that's okay. But your doctor giving you say, hey, you know, if we give you this injection, these are the things that may happen that will cause them to lose their license to practice. They're going to get stripped of their license if they inform you of the risks involved. Read the code. Like, I'll link it in this podcast episode because people are like, that's not true. Watch. How does that benefit anyone? (sighs) How is that benefiting? You know what I mean? You know. I don't go to the fucking doctor because I know they're lying to me. No. <laughs> I'm going to go to the fucking witch doctor down the street, kill a fucking chicken, dance around some fucking fire, and go home. Okay, wait, pause. Because you had to run <laughs> off to work this morning when I was watching that video. Remember, you're like, I want to rabbit hole this when I get home? Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, me going to the fucking witch doctor. The witch doctor is Pharmacia. The witch doctor is Bayer. The witch doctor is Pfizer. The witch doctor is Moderna. Look at the freaking Bayer thing, the Baffet or whatever the hell that term is that describes the thing with the snake around it. Look it yeah. up. It literally translates to witchcraft. And so, you know, how is that any different than going to my fucking doctor and him being scared to fucking death that he's going to lose his license to practice? So he has to fucking lie to me so he can continue to stay in business. What kind of bullshit is that? I don't want my fucking doctor to lie to me. So if I know I go into the locks of the door, I know he's going to fucking lie to me. What's the point in going? Why do I need to go to the fucking doctor if I'm going to get a line of fucking bullshit? You know, it's funny. Jokingly, I say I was a total hypochondriac until COVID. <laughs> 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 then I was like, nope, I'm fine. <laughs> ever i don't care if i'm bleeding to death i'm good i got a band-aid and some peroxide (laughs) yeah but you feel a lot of paper towels and some fucking (laughs) fine it's fine you know i didn't take my fucking kid to the check to the doctor (laughs) until he couldn't fucking move come to find out he's got pneumonia and a collapsed lung (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, fuck, no wonder he wasn't feeling good. No, that's probably got something to do with it. Okay, but, you know, so. I don't want to take these kids to the fucking doctor because, you know, they're going to fucking lie to us. Absolutely. They're going to give okay. us a fucking line of bullshit because they're so, going to lose their license if they don't. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And you don't know what they do behind closed doors. Okay, so, 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 moving on, though. We have to get to climate change, Atlantis, and the lost civilizations. Okay, how much time we got left to talk? Um, it's probably going to shut us off in like 15 minutes. Okay, so we'll go quickly then. Okay. Okay, so, you know, I'm, I'm you know, talking to the elite, uh, not talking to, um, uh, listening to this guy that does, you know, uh, he's done a lot of climatic research over the years. And... 
you know, we're talking, he was talking about you know, climate change and the polar ice cap and how it came down to, you know, like the last ice age 12,000 years ago, there was this freaking ice cap sitting on top of planet Earth. And it came down into, you know, the northern part of North America, uh, you know, the northern part of the United States. And there was so much ice, you know, the ice was, uh, you know, a mile and a half thick. And there was so much moisture locked into this ice cap that sea levels were 400 feet lower than they currently are today. 400 feet lower than today. Wow. That's a lot. And so there were literally hundreds of millions of square miles of extra land mass that people were living on 12,000 years ago. Wrap your head around that for a second. So all these civilizations, and you know, we know for a fact that the Egyptians that built the pyramids were not the same Egyptians that were referred to in the Bible. This is way before Bible times. You know, the ancient civilizations uh, in Central and South America that go back, you know, thousands and thousands of years that were here on the on Earth at the time of the Ice Age. You know, they had cities. I mean, they had seaports. Those seaports, those cities and are now under a minimum of 400 feet of water. What is buried there in along these old shorelines? What type of fucking cities are there that no, none of us have explored? Think about the lost fucking treasure. I mean, how much stuff is there that no longer exists? Or it still exists, but it's, it's fucking been hidden from uh, the rest of us for centuries. Now, what's interesting is that, you know, they look through, you know, like you can do ice cores, all kinds of different uh, geological things to determine temperature changes and stuff like that and you know you know we have all these fucking climate current climate alarmists starting with al gore you know talking about you know global warming and global cooling and global this and global that and climate change this and climate change that i'm so fucking hearing about climate change it's ridiculous so from the mid 1800s until now the average temperature of the earth has only risen one degree fahrenheit one fucking degree Fahrenheit. We're screaming bloody blue murder over one fucking degree Fahrenheit. Now, for the past eight years, climate data has shown that the Earth has not risen. There's temperature on average has not risen one degree. It's been stable for the past eight years, which is a completely inconvenient truth for, you know, the fucking climate people. Now, 12,000 years ago, when we had this receding ice age, you know, in a 12 month period, the average Earth temperature would fluctuate up or down between 15 to 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, wrap your head around that. You know, one year, everything is, you know, average temperature of 75 degrees Fahrenheit. The next year, it's average, you know, 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. And then the year after that, it drops 20 degrees Fahrenheit. And so, you know, the megafauna, any which is referred to, megafauna is re referred to as that any you know, species of animal that averages more than 100 pounds body weight, you know, those creatures could not keep up with the temperature fluctuations and they fucking died off. So woolly mammoths, these giant sloths that were as big as elephants, uh, saber-toothed cats, all these huge animals that were inhabiting North America and other places on the planet, they couldn't, their bodies were not able to adjust to adapt to those temperature changes and they died off, which left just the small mammals, you know, uh, and, you know, hominids, you know, us, human people, uh, smaller animals, you know, were able to easily more, more easily adapt to those climate changes versus, you know, the large animals, which were just, you know, they were too big that, uh, to adapt quickly. And so, you know, they all died off. Um, and so it's interesting that, you know, as this polar ice cap melts, you know, the oceans rise and all these ancient cities get buried. And, you know, one of the things like I've heard fairly recently is, you know, the Great Lakes, for example, um, they're gradually getting shallower and shallower. What's interesting, though, is the fucking water levels aren't dropping, but the landmass underneath them is rebounding from the weight of the ice from 12,000 years ago. It is still rising. And so, you know, all this fucking shit about, you know, just, you know, these coastal cities are going underwater, but, you know, 
other places, you know, the fucking water's getting shallow. They're trying to blame it on climate change. It has nothing to do with climate change, but it has everything to do with the Earth's surface rebounding from the weight of this fucking polar ice cap on the top half of the planet. Does that make any sense to anybody? It makes sense. And, and I think, you know, what's really fascinating is, and I know I mentioned this earlier when we decided we should pot on this, is that fact that, like, you know, I know what happens in a water feature when you just transition from a cold day um, or, or let's say it's a hot day late summer to that first frost. And it goes from being completely algae filled to like nothing. It's clear water. And, you know, that's like maybe a 20 degree temperature difference or something, or or it might be more, let's just say it's 40 degrees. And it's like all of a sudden, instantly, all of the algae is like killed off. But when you think of algae, right, you think of fauna. Um, And so it's just kind of interesting as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, wow, if that happens on a very micro scale, to a very tiny water feature in someone's backyard, what happens on a global scale on the planet when there's that kind of a temperature change, you know? And and these are natural fluctuations. This has nothing to do with man-made bullshit. Prior to, you know, modern man, the Earth's fucking atmosphere, its climate was total freaking chaos. The fact that, you know, our temperature has only risen one degree Fahrenheit in the past 150 years is a fucking miracle. Absolute fucking lets us has warmed up that slowly. The industrial revolution, man-made global warming, whatever the hell they want to call it, it's a crock of shit. And that is evidenced by the very fact that the people that scream the fucking loudest have the most mansions, they fly the most on their own fucking private jets, they have the largest foot carbon footprint of anybody else on the fucking planet. Until those, all those fucking assholes live in tents and they're riding their fucking fat asses around on bicycles, I'm calling bullshit. <laughs> but so, but so separately, do you feel that they're like, um, let's just talk about uh, Mormon, Mormon Island. I mean, granted, I know they flooded the lake at for Folsom and that's why that happens. But do you feel that there have been a lot of these that have gone under these like lost civilizations because of the, of, of the temperature changes on the planet. I think there have been countless civilizations, countless civil societies that have been lost, you know, over, over time because of, you know, just the natural cycle of how the earth's climate changes on a regular basis. You know um, it's, you know, there's evidence that not very long ago, the Southwest, was a very verdant uh, environment. It was not dry. It was, you know, very wet. You know, things grew well, lots of moisture, and, you know, something changed, you know, solar flares, the Earth's axis tilted, axis tilted, who knows what. But it caused a massive climate change, and now what was once a fucking verdant rainforest is now a fucking desert. You know, the Sahara is the same way. The Sahara Desert it used to be a lush green part of North Africa. You know, something changed in the past, wind shift, weather patterns, who knows what. And uh, it's now like the fucking largest desert on the planet. It doesn't take much. You know, I mean, let's look at you like, I mean, let's look at ourselves. I'm going to get gross for a second. Look at, <laughs> I mean, our own bodies, you know, our, our, our intestinal, our digestive tract. If we have like a 1% fluctuation in moisture in our digestive tract, you know, things are normal. If we're 1% too dry, we are constipated. If we're 1% too wet, we've got diarrhea. It's a very delicate balance just on our own bodies alone. It's also a very delicate balance on earth. The, 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 and we, if, you know, thinking that, you know, I think we do have some effect on the environment, but it's not as much as we're told. I think there's much larger forces at play here that really have, you know, create catastrophic changes. You know, a fucking plastic bag in the ocean. Okay, whoop do you do a fucking fish dies? Who gives a shit? That's not the bigger story. The bigger story is, you know, something catastrophic happens, a fucking meteorite, meteor impact, uh, a massive earthquake that fucking actually tilts the axis of the earth. Like the Fukushima Japanese, the, the earthquake several years ago, and 
the Fukushima deal, the fucking Earth's axis actually shifted and it changed the fucking climate. Nobody's talking about that. Why is nobody talking about that? That was fucking huge. That was such a violent earthquake that it changed the Earth's axis. Why is no one talking about that and the climate changes that that caused? Uh, probably because it it's would, inconvenient. It doesn't yeah. fucking narrative. I think you're absolutely right. And so, you know, people that live in the northern climates, they notice the change because the fucking daylight changed. It's like <laughs> <laughs> suddenly there's more of it. <laughs> suddenly there's more of it, and then there's less of it. And so right. it's like by no. a few hours a day. <laughs> you know, but it's a, it's it, yeah, it's a significant amount. It's a significant change, and so, um, you know, something that happens like that, you know, and there's there's earthquakes every single day. Every time there's a fucking earthquake, the whole Earth responds to that. It's not just, you know, in one isolated case, the entire globe is shaken by that and it fucking changes stuff. And so, you know, what impact does, what impact do these earthquakes have? What impact do these volcanic eruptions have on the climate in general? What we do as humans is almost insignificant. You know, one massive volcanic eruption puts enough shit in the fucking air that equals all the pollution we've created since we became an industrialized fucking planet for the past 150 years, one volcanic eruption. But no, we're not going to talk about that because it's not fucking convenient. It doesn't fit the story. I don't think you're wrong. And I think there's so yeah. much more to dive into with that. Yeah. We're, we're worried about fucking cow flatulence, but nobody's <laughs> talking about the very fact that ants alone ants make more create, parts we talked about that a couple episodes. we can't go down that road because we talked about poop for a whole episode we, yeah but you know arts ants create more methane gas than all other forms of life on earth combined let's kill all the fucking ants if we're worried about methane gas oh my god okay we have to stop on that okay <laughs> okay that's i guess that's just it we just stop like that we need to stop on farts Okay. It's always about poop with you. What? <laughs> this has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.